Hello, everyone, and welcome to Next Generation Saints. I'm your host, Nick Coons. So not many people have been very much aware of a thing called Burning Man in a place in the Nevada desert. Today, I'm actually hosting a show on Next Generation Saints with Carl Tycrib and with Bob Worley, two Christian apologists. Um, Carl is from Canada, and Bob is from Bishop, California. So they do a ministry out in the Nevada desert for a thing called Burning Man called the Camp of the Unknown God. So with that in mind, um, Carl, welcome to the program. Bob, welcome to the program, guys. Um, what is Burning Man? Well, it's a lot of things. Uh, one thing it is, it's a gathering. It's a community. It's a festival, but it's more than a festival. It's a festival with its own culture, with its own terminology, with its own, uh, with its, with its own kind of a following or tribe. And so Burning Man is a gathering of 80,000 people, 70 to 80,000 people in the desert of, of Northern Nevada, the Black Rock Desert. And for one week, they build an, a functioning city. It is a, a temporary city. Uh, the city is constructed in the, the first few weeks of August, right up, to, right up to the burn week. So over the course of three weeks, literally a city for 70,000 people comes together artwork, streets, uh, infrastructure. It has its own FAA-approved airport, uh, large medical camps. Uh, a significant amount of, of major hardware is trucked in. It is a constant um, coming and going of big rigs as they are bringing in uh, significant pieces of infrastructure and artwork to set up over the course of of the time for the burn week. Last year I was there uh, four days early with a, a, a work access pass. So I watched the construction of the city. And then for the week, the burn week, it's uh, a celebration. Uh, it's a gathering of, of people looking to find uh, new experiences, looking to connect with, with something. Um, you could call Burning Man a container. It's a container to explore spirituality. It's a container to explore creativity. It's a container to explore new ways of doing governance, even new systems of economy. It's a, it's a place to explore sexuality. Uh, it's a place where people go to explore themselves and in the process are hoping to find themselves transformed. So it's, it's really an eclectic place, but it is a convergence. It's a convergence where religion, spirituality, philosophy, culture, art, technology, even politics, finds its, its common place in the burn experience. And at the end of it all, uh, they burn a massive human effigy. Um, could be 40 feet, 60 feet tall. Uh, they have temples uh, uh, set up at the burn. Um, it, it's a place that's extremely interactive and uh, is, it, it's not just simply a uh, it's not just simply a, a place where you are a spectator, but it is, it is, everything is immersive. It is psychologically a powerful event. And that's why people go. Sounds almost like yeah, a like um, middle-aged renaissance movement. <laughs> to, to an extent. In a way, except, 
To an extent, yes. In fact, it's interesting. The Renaissance festivals emerged out of the counterculture of the 1960s, uh, and Burning Man likewise also emerged out of the counterculture, ultimately, of the 1960s. It's a refinement of the counterculture. In fact, it's no longer the counterculture. It is the culture. Uh, Burning Man mirrors the culture of the day. It reflects it, it refines it, it upgrades it, and then it, project, it projects itself back in the cracks and pores of civilization. Wow. Yeah. Bob, are you going to say something? Yeah, I'll uh, check in here. Uh, I'm going to say that uh, as for uh, Christians, uh, you know, we set up our camp of the unknown God and uh, Burning Man is uh, virtually a place you can go and it have uh, potentially up to 80,000 people that you can interact with and share your faith with uh, if you uh, respect and understand why they're there. And so we utilize the Camp of the Unknown God. The name came from uh, uh, a lady in Carlson church i believe mm -hmm. and uh it's from act 17 with the you know uh, paul is in athens and uh, i'd like carl to speak a little more on that because it's quite it, it, it's quite a neat situation and he finds this idol of the unknown god and he utilizes that to start a conversation so uh when we go in uh we interface with these people and we get to know what they believe we honestly want to know what they believe uh as they tell us what they believe and why they believe it and then we can interject some very um uh respectful questions right uh in our brains i don't think we're saying okay we're going to defeat this by this methodology we're actually listening and mm -hmm. so forth and you get a lot of insight and uh, and I, I deal with other religious groups like that myself and been doing it for years when carl and i met uh 2017 it was like uh i couldn't ask for a better partner because he had the same methodology as far as the respectfulness of these people and so forth uh, I was interviewed by the University of Germany, Berlin, back in the 90s, and they asked me, why are you here as a fundamentalist Christian? And I said, these people out here are my brothers in Adam, and of course we know that's uh, of sin, right? And I want them to be my brothers in Christ. And when we approach these people, we're no better than they are. Uh, we're in a position that we're saved by the grace of God, that we're not out there to prove a point, but to share our faith in Christ and why we believe that it is the only way is Jesus Christ, as it says in Acts 4.12. Uh, so uh, I've been going out since 1996 and leading small groups out there and witnessing and developing uh, relationships over that time period. Uh, when I first went out, it was 25,000 people, and it was like Mad Max out there. It was crazy. And uh, now we have an uh, event that is moving in a direction, and that direction, as Carl said, reflects our society. Uh, I don't know what I want to call it, if it's post-postmodern, but Carl has a term 
that I'm going to let him share with you. And I have to agree with his term of what he believes this is. Carl, can you add in to uh, uh, the Acts 17 and what was happening there with the Apostle Paul and uh, uh, mention uh, what uh, you've come up with uh, on what you call this instead of postmodern? Sure, sure. Um, Acts 17 is a fantastic passage. Listen, we, we, we're now in a post-Christian culture, and we know that. We understand that. We see that. It's in, you can't escape that. Uh, the early church also was in a culture that wasn't Christian. It was very opposite of, of the Christian worldview. If you had the ability to go back to the ancient uh, Greco-Roman culture, it was pagan in its most raw and hard context. Uh, I, I think the pagans of, of that age would look at the pagans of, and just even the general population of our age and go, you're, you're, you're all very soft and very weak because their paganism was harsh. It was a, it was a very powerful cultural, political uh, uh, expression. Paul finds himself in Athens and he takes the time to go around and uh, basically do a survey of their city. He looks around at, at, at the different temples, the monuments, and he sees this one monument that is inscribed to the unknown God. And while Paul is there, he's talking with, with the, the Stoics, with the philosophers. You could call them the trendsetters of the city. And they want to hear more of, the, of what Paul has to say. So they take Paul to the Areopagus, which is next to, it's actually a shoulder of, of, a, of the hill where the temple of Nike, Athena, the temple of Zeus are all located. There's a concentration of pagan temples. Paul's backdrop, literally, are massive stone temples to pagan deities. He is in the most pagan context that you and I could imagine. And yet he has intentionally found some point, some reference point, a spiritual reference point, that he could now leverage, which was that monument to the unknown God. Well, in 2017, in the weeks leading up to going to Burning Man, for my first time to the Big Burn, I've been to regional, I was at a regional before that. Um, Bob and I were wrestling on the phone. What, what are we going to do? I mean, there's, there's got to be something we could call our, our camp. There's, what is it? How are we going to do this thing? And Bob, you have to understand, Nick, Bob and I had never met literally until, I mean, in, in physically, until like what, a day and a half or a day before we went? Oh, only yeah. hours, only hours before we went to the burn. Hours, mm -hmm. yeah. And, and so I, I was, uh, the week before the burn, I was talking to some people in my Sunday school class and this lady said, hey, it sounds like you're going to, to Athens. It sounds like you're going to Act 17. I'm like, yeah, we are. We're going to a modern Act 17 situation. Right. Um, and so Bob and I talked, and that's how the name Camp of the Unknown God came up, which is a reflection of Act 17, which is really cool. But, but I mean, Nick, it's been good because people come by the tent, and, and especially when, when Bob was there in 2017 and 2018, and people would just come up and go, what's this all about? I, I, I had a situation... I'll, I'll never forget it in 2017 where this young Russian guy walks up and says, who is the unknown God? 
you can't get a bigger door open than that. Yeah, I was going to say that's so, a flying door open in that perspective. So it's like, yeah. you know, oh, well, who is this? Well, I'll tell you about him now. <laughs> right, exactly. And you, you sit down, you talk to them. Actually, you let them talk to you first, mm. uh, spend time interacting, and then go back around to the initial question. Last year, we weren't at the camp so much, uh, but people were always asking, what camp are you with? We're with the camp of the unknown God. And that opened up conversations all over the playa. That is amazing, to be honest with you. I mean, I look, when I heard about Bob, you going to um, Burning Man, <clears throat> I'm usually not researching all that stuff. I usually look into things like Mormonism. I look into now Islam with David Wood and whatnot, you know. And I started going into that. But when I started looking up about Burning Man and about people going there, you're right, Carl. I found a bunch of things like just a culmination of, of like uh, culture, religion, politics, philosophies they went in. And I think one of it that got me that I kind of felt it was kind of a funny moment was I saw a picture of a guy and it said uh, there was a phone booth and it said, call God. It was like, call her, him, whoever. And the guy sitting there like on the phone like this. And I just went, Okay, that's that's pretty clever. I showed it to one of my Christian uh, brothers in Christ, and he was like, how could they do that? That's kind of a mockery. I go, well, it opens a door. I think it's kind of clever to do that, and I think as Christians, <laughs> we can kind of have a chuckle about that, but that also, you know, as you said, Carl, it opens a door up to be able to have that conversation. Um, I've had friends who have, oh, go ahead. No, no, that's okay. I, I'm just going to say, last year, um, we ran into the, into the God phone booth, uh, my friend Brian and Audrey were with me, and Audrey was the first one to pick up the phone, and it was a it was a guy on the other end, and she was so nervous she just put the phone back on the on the ringer. She wasn't going to talk. Brian picks the phone up, and now it's a girl on the other end. It's a goddess, and so Brian ends up telling her about all the sin problem of Burning Man, and and talks to. God about, you know, you, you need to do something about the sin here. And, and the lady on the other end is like, well, yeah, you actually have a point. There is a lot of sin here. And so they had this really strange conversation back and forth. I'm almost tempted to get like the transcripts from that conversation just to read, just for the sheer enjoyment of having that in front of me to go. Like, it's like, get your popcorns, get your drink and read it. And just go like, what in the world are they doing? But one I was actually thinking about here, and I remember on the top of my head, Bob, you were telling me about how there are world leaders, politicians, um, people from Congress, uh, from foreign countries, I believe, if I remember this correctly, who are there and participating in this. Is, is it for them, if you guys have come across them, is it like a political thing for them? Or is it more like they're trying to find more religious or philosophical? Like, what, why are they there, so to speak? Uh, Back in 2017, there was a uh, politician there from Washington, D.C. that was with the Bush administration. And uh, Carl, you remember his name? Uh, uh, we yes. Went to, we went to see him talk. But he was giving a talk on how to transform uh, a country or transform the world, basically. And uh, I remember I had a bone to pick with him about something. And we got in a conversation with a girl from Australia. And of course, this guy runs off and, 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 and into the people and the burn. So I never got to talk to him. Uh, but uh, it was kind of interesting to see him. Well, last, uh, was it last year that they had 50 mayors from different cities 
that yes. came to the burn so they could learn about the culture to take this home to the, their city to include it or to uh, utilize the information to change their cities. And we had four Congress people there. We had uh, an uh, ex-Israeli intelligence person, I think, that you were talking yes. about. Yep. And uh, I, wasn't there somebody from um, the European Union? Yeah, I, I spent two hours talking to the European Union liaison officer to the U.S. federal government. Oh. Uh, great conversation. Uh, she was a young lady who was trying to find her way. She was just there. Not, she wasn't there, Bob, for political reasons. She was just searching for meaning. She was searching for meaning and purpose. Literally, that's what she was doing. Wow. That, I mean, uh, coming from my end and probably from people listening in on this as well, that's pretty heavy to put out there. That, you know, I can see from a perspective of these people wanting to seek something for themselves, but at the same time, God put them in the leadership. Now they're going to be taking <clears throat> either really good ideas from Burning Man or really negative ideas that they, you know, they, they do it out of good conscience because they think, you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions mm -hmm. back into our normal society and try to implement them into a law type area. And that could have devastating, either really good effects or absolutely devastating effects. But I think it also, when, when I second point thought here is these are just people trying to find something. But so if they're looking for something out over at Burning Man, do they ever, do the people when you talk to them, because I know you go back time and time again, do they ever find that meaning? You know, it's, it's difficult to say. I mean, I've been in conversations uh, with some of the people still that we had met back in 2017. Um, for some of them, I know it, it, it's still, they're still searching. Uh, I, we, we just hope and pray that the conversations that we've had with them and the relationships we, we've developed with them will, will hopefully spur them towards looking to Christ at some point. What's interesting here, Nick, is mm -hmm. when Bob and I first went in 2017, remember, Bob and I, we, we talked on the phone, but we had never actually met. And so every, pretty well every morning, we would have coffee and we would talk about our theology, about our beliefs. We would talk about our Christian faith. We talk about family, all this stuff. And right beside us was a tent. And now you have to keep in mind, it's a little itty bitty tent. They were our neighbors. And, and the guy was using the shelter of my large tent to kind of break the wind and, and to use it as a bit of a, a shelter for himself. Our tents were so close, the, the guy wires were going crisscrossing with each other. Okay. So I think it was on Thursday or Friday. His name was Paul. He's from France. I met him again in 2018. Fantastic guy. The guy comes, Paul comes to me later, later in the week and says, I hope it's okay, but I've been eavesdropping on all of your conversations. Yes. <laughs> That's a problem. <laughs> it's like, gosh, I wish I could take credit for making it intentional. <laughs> You know, here's the thing, Nick, you just want to be, you just want to be true to who you are as a, as a, just a person, because that's all you are. You're just a person. You're saved by Christ. It's not of you. Mm -hmm. And you want, you want to be open and honest. You don't want to hide who you are. You don't want to hide um, 
you don't want to hide the fact that that what you're talking about is is spiritual but these are people and you have to mm -hmm. treat them with respect you have to treat them with grace so it's a combination of truth and grace and then how do you do that um i, I love burning man our, our experiences at burning man in that they have it, it to me they've shown and, and bob has been so instrumental in this have shown me that there is a model for how we do outreach and what is really a, a, a culture that is re-enchanted. That's the terminology that I've been using. It's not my term, but it's a terminology to describe the post-postmodern world. Because postmodernism ultimately says at the end of it all, all we have are questions and no answers. It's a vacuum of meaning, ultimately. I was gonna say it seems pretty bankrupt for an ideology it, to say it like, does. like all these I came across it one time when I was selling guns at Turner's outdoorsman and one of the guy actually said that he's like asking all these in-depth questions and he finally goes in the, the day there are no answers and i'm like it just seems so dead to be it, in it is it is so re-enchantment the idea of re-enchantment is it, it's very similar to the new age except where the new age is usually about finding the divine self mm -hmm. re-enchantment says there's wonder and meaning and purpose in our spiritual connection to each other and to the earth and to the cosmos. It's now the divine we, not just the divine me, but the divine we. And so you're all experiencing this together. You're feeling this together. And, and, and I mean, realistically, Burning Man exemplifies that. You, you all walk away going, oh, we've all experienced this. We've all experienced this new collective feeling of our oneness. And and that's that's the direction of our age. That's the direction. It almost of our sounds culture. like a type of uh, cult. To an ex to I mean to a certain extent, yes. it almost sounds yes. that way. Where it's like, you have it where they're like we're all experiencing this whatnot, and then you have. Is there anyone out there who leads this, or is it just everyone just comes out and it's just kind of free for all? Go ahead, Bob. That's an area that you know very well. Okay. Basically, <laughs> uh, every year there's a theme, and. Uh, the Burning Man now corporation sets up the theme. Like for example, uh, transhumanism was one year. Um, uh, radical rituals is one year. Uh, those are the two years that Carl and I were together there. Uh, I was a uh, fertility uh, god, so I was at, at that one. That was uh, quite bizarre uh, uh, situation there. And so uh, at, they had uh, one that was very anti-Christian. In fact, that was the fertility gods one. And uh, it was uh, blasphemy 24-7. And uh, you know what? Uh, uh, the, the book of Corinthians tells us that, uh, that we are to judge the inside of the church. What more can we do to judge the outside of the church? Because the wrath of God is already on them, as we see in John 3.36. And that's why we got to go out and say, uh, uh, Jesus, if you don't have Jesus, the wrath of God remains on you. That's John 3.36. So that's why we got to go out and tell them that they need to be born again. But there needs to be context there, because right. uh, this collectivism... Uh, you, you might go back even in the early 1900s uh, with uh, Lenin and uh, the uh, starting the Communist Party. It was the collective, right? Just because something's collective doesn't mean it's good, right? Of course. Of course. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, Carl and I, uh, the one thing about fellowship is you start bouncing things off of each other or I might be watching him and say, hey, I'm going to use that. 
right? And so uh, I was always into this uh, asking uh, uh, a presuppositional argument where I'd say, do you believe that you're a chemical being? And then I would get into the issue that your brain makes chemical decisions. And just about every time they acknowledge that, then what uh, is there good chemical reactions and bad ones? I mean, how do you justify good and evil, right? And I have had hours of conversations just over that. So I meet with Carl and Carl turns me on to uh, 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 a concept of one ism, two ism. Uh, I think it's Peter Jones. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, amazing, amazing guy. We got some of his uh, CD, DVDs after uh, we talked to you about him. And one ism is that everything's the same. Uh, the artist, basically, and the art, and Carl could tell you a great story about that, and that, uh, you know, the trees and the planet, and they'll have uh, situations out where Carl and I were in this great big pyramid, and we were all supposed to collectively think, well, Carl and I are just looking at each other, because, like, yeah, we're not going to be a part of this, right? But (laughs) this is what they believe, right? And the whole Burning Man was supposed to be collective, and we we're all supposed to think world peace and, and this type of thing. So we, we, we get to the point where we have this one-ism where everything is the same, and you could go with some terrible, terrible uh, situations with that being true, you know? Uh, I was talking to a real hardcore witch, and I'm not talking about just a Wiccan witch, I'm talking about the, the, the bad black witch. And uh, she started this yang yang thing on me. And, and I said, well, so Adolf Hitler, was he uh, necessary and good? And she called security and had me marched out of the mall. So, <laughs> so when, you take, <laughs> when you take the logic right to its final conclusion, it can be very evil. Okay, and yeah. so I think we see that today in our culture with all these rights and stuff. But Carl, so Carl explained twoism, which are, is a Christian view, and that is one God outside of time and space created all things. We are his artwork and, and so forth. So what we have to do, right, is bring them to logic and reason is that are we just chemical machines? Uh, are we just the same as the rest of the matter on the planet? What significance do we have as an individual? Do, you know, what about the bad thoughts and stuff inside of us and so forth? And once we get to that twoism issue, then I'll bring out prophecies that I, I, I will bring a Bible out of my backpack and, and have them read the, uh, like Luke 21, 23 through 25 and say, can you tell me what that means? And most of the time, I'll get, wow, that's heavy, or whoa, uh, I didn't know something like this was in the Bible. And that's just talking about the destruction of Jerusalem and the Jews coming back in the last days. Uh, then, uh, then the conversation starts, and we can go through the Ten Commandments, so like Ray Comfort. Now, that's me. And so Carl uh, is him. And uh, Carl, I want you to tell them about your uh, artist uh, situation at the camp because uh, that was that was a work of art. <laughs> uh, really was, fast. Um, I was just thinking, hearing what you were talking about, Bob, and I've actually had people that I've done apologetics with that have 
really gone into where it was just a bag of chemicals and chemical reaction. And I remember, because I mostly talk about the moral situation. I also talk about, um, I like mostly like Dr. Frank Turk, where mm-hmm. I read his book and whatnot, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. And so I'll go off and talk about like how the science and how um, the morality function. But I've had people like that who have had, where they go, well, we're just a bag full of chemicals, right? We have skin right here. It holds our chemicals in. We have a brain inside, but it has a chemical reaction. I go, okay. So if I were to go over and rape that woman right over there, is that good or bad? And they go, well, that's terrible. I go, well, why? And they, they start debating. And I finally break down to where I get to the conversation when it, about um, being in a courtroom. And I said, let's say you're trying a, a rapist and a murderer. A man finds a woman, rapes her, murders her, does, you know, does terrible things to her. And let's say that we are all just bags of chemicals reacting in this world. And I said, okay, so if I'm a, if you're a judge and you're looking at this person, how can you convict this person? That person can just walk up and go, hey, look, I'm just a bag of chemicals. I'm just having a reaction. Um, there is no freedom that I have. My body reacted the way it was because chemical reactions don't have thought or, or, um, or moral decisions to make or complex um, thought and whatever behind that. You know, you, you put mentos into a Diet Coke because the mentos don't sit in there and go, well, if I shoot up, I'm going to smack somebody in the face with this soda and they're going to get drenched and sticky and that's probably not going to be great and the vetting camera's not on, YouTube's not watching it, they're not going to get the views. It's not thinking that, it's just reacting to the chemicals. And so I said, so how could you convict the uh, person who has committed rape and murder if they're simply a bag of chemicals? And I remember having that conversation and the person I was talking to was seeing a body of video equipment, he goes, you know, I don't want to get into so much. It's way too in-depth thinking. I go, it's not in-depth. It's a logical conclusion to the mm-hmm. um, presupposition and ph- philosophical point that you have brought up. But I just thought that was something that, you know, we both shared in that instance. So, Carl, go ahead and bring up your um, what you were going to talk about. Oh, sure. Um, first, I'll go back real quickly to the one question you asked about, is there organization and how does Oh, yes. Work? Thank you. I was going to ask uh, you yeah, about that. Yeah, yes. yeah. Because Bob, Bob touched on that, but I'd like to add one more thing. Yes, there's an organization that sets it all up. They put a, a theme in place. Um, and, and last year's theme was metamorphosis. Uh, and, and when you arrive, by the way, they will give you a, an agenda book Ooh. full of activities that you can go and do every day. I mean, you have to clone yourself over and over and over again to cover it all. And that's only the events listed. Is another... I, I got to ask right here, what company sure. is creating this? Okay. It has, it's its own company, as Bob described, or its own organization. They're a nonprofit. At this point now, they're a nonprofit. They changed a few years ago to that, to that structure. They have a fairly extensive staff. Mm-hmm. But what makes it work isn't the organization per se. They, they just put the infrastructure in place. They just mm-hmm. have, they just put the canvas out. Everything else that happens from the artwork to the temples are all done by volunteers. Okay. Nobody's being paid except for obviously for the staff of the organization, but the rest of it really is the creation of the people who attend. I'm actually interested to find out what the, uh, is this organization called Burning Man? Burning Man Project. Burning Burning Man Man Project. Yep. So anyways, that's, that's something that, that people will, will find astonishing when you see the scope of the art. When we're talking okay. like three, four story structures, we're talking massive pieces. 
uh, items that sometimes cost in, well into the six figures. Uh, all of this is being constructed and people are working all year round towards developing this and they're doing it on a voluntary basis. Wow. In fact, this last week was the virtual burn because of, co of course it's COVID. So there's been a virtual burn. It was put up uh, by volunteers in a virtual space. And there, there was a number of, of virtual spaces right before our talk was done, uh, or pardon me, our talk began. Um, this afternoon, I was in the virtual burn. I was interacting with a lady uh, from, from Asia, I'm not going to say which country, uh, and she moved from a small island country in Asia to San Francisco specifically so that she could devote her life to Burning Man art and the Burning Man concept. She hasn't had a job in seven years. She's literally devoted every ounce of her energy, her and now her husband, towards creating, helping to create the Burning Man culture. Okay, that's dedication. That I was gonna say, that is an incredible dedication. It also sounds like, uh, based on what we were talking about earlier, where you said people are searching for meaning, right. it's no different than as Christians, we devote our lives to Jesus Christ and to follow in the will of the Lord. These guys have done the exact same thing on to Burning Man. I'm just, I am shocked that they, I, I didn't realize how big it just sounds, as you said earlier, and it, I'm just wrapping my mind around it, is it's a city. Now, yes, I is. wanted to ask Carl is, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, when they burn, take this man that's made of whatever they're making it, uh, the effigy, why do they burn a man over burning man? Because <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> someone like me who just looks in on this and goes, there's a giant statue of a combustible person why are they lighting it on fire I, so i'm pretty sure that's one of the questions <laughs> yes yes um the the typical answer is and this is now the kind of the narrative is that it is a symbol of birth uh life death and rebirth because it's reborn every year it all re-emerges is reconstructed each year so it has that cyclical oneist pattern uh that you could call it that evolutionary or the circle of life concept behind it. Uh, th there's, there's a lot of debate about the beginning of Burning Man, how it started. Uh, there's a, the, there is some, some discussion that it might have been a woman, uh, an effigy of a woman. Uh, that's out there. There's all kinds of, actually, there's like eight or, or so different creation stories of how the event started. While that's interesting, and that's really kind of fun to unpack, What's really important is the meaning that has been bestowed upon it by its own community mm -hmm. over the last 20 years or so. Right. And that is, that is that this is now an intensely spiritual experience or a place to find purpose, a place to find connection. And so that symbolism of, of death, rebirth, death, rebirth becomes an important part of, of why it happens over and over again. What's really though, significant at Burning Man isn't the burning of the man. Mm -hmm. It's the burning of the temple. Now, this there's is really, temple? oh yes, actually there's a number of temples, but there is one dedicated temple. And these are, Nick, these are huge constructions. The 2018 temple called Galaxia was 65 feet high, 250 feet wide, all built out of timbers interlaced into a spiral into the sky, all done, of course, by volunteers, okay? 
uh, people who've dedicated their whole year to put this structure in place. Wow. And, and then during the course of the week, now it, it, the temple starts off as a blank slate. The walls are empty, but all week long, people are pouring out their hearts at the temple. They're leaving notes to their deceased loved ones. They're putting up poems. They're, they're expressing their hurts. They're expressing their anger. They're expressing their, their, their loss, their grief. People will hang up wedding dresses, bring all of their photo albums. People will bring urns of ashes of their loved ones. Um, it's all deposited. By the end of the week, the temple is literally mounded with material. It, it has gone from a blank slate, blank walls, to literally no inch left untouched, so to speak. It's just loaded with everybody's expression of hurt and pain. It's like going to a funeral nonstop for seven days, 24 hours a day. And if you walk out of there without a tear rolling down your cheek, I really wonder where your heart is because people are really grieving and really hurting. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the week, they burn that as well. Now the contrast is interesting. When they burn the man, it's a party. I mean, tens of thousands of people gather around it, art cars, mutant vehicles, lasers going off everywhere, fire blowing up, the most incredible pyrotechnic show that you will ever see. It's a party. And then the man burns, and typically you have hundreds of people who get undressed, or assuming, they're, assuming they have clothes on, then they dance around the man, uh, all the ashes and the ambers, it's, it's, it's pretty intense. The next day when they burn the temple, the, the atmosphere is completely different. It's quiet. It's silent. Um, nobody is saying anything. You'll hear people crying. Uh, and then the temple goes up. Very, very different atmosphere. Hey, I'd, wow. like to, I'd like to mention something about that. Uh, the burning of the man is this party and, and so forth. And it's like, you know, Carl and I will go out and uh, others with our group will go out and we'll watch the man burn. Uh, and so forth, and you, you see this just uh, euphoric uh, party that they're having. But the amazing part, now that's going to be about 70,000. The next night, on, uh, that's on Saturday nights, and then Sunday nights, they do the temple burn, and uh, you go out, it's about half as many people. Now, these are the serious people. Mm -hmm. These are people that are there for a dedicated reason. They're searching, they're hurting, they've had losses. And, um, and so uh, the opportunity is you got out of 70,000, 80,000 people, you got 35,000 people out there that are hurting. And here we have the answer, you know? And so our job is to go in and interface with these different camps like Carl, uh, and some of the people might go out uh, on bicycles and stuff and me being a old guy, I'll walk around and go sit down in a camp of somebody and, and start talking with them and so forth. And I have had two opportunities to do marriage counseling out there and, and to share my faith uh, with one couple that was out there that uh, ended up getting very disgusted with some of the activities that uh, burners tried to get them involved with. Um, I can only imagine. Yeah, yeah. You can and, only uh, imagine. Now, Carl. When I hear about the sexuality going on, people taking their clothes off, rocking around, I'm like going, I'm th first thinking, I'm not going out there with my wife. And I'm probably not going to go out there with myself, you know, because I, I got other stuff. But I'm like, 
Oh my goodness. Right. Uh, well, let's put it this way. Uh, you know, Carl and I are going to be doing some training series. If you can't go out there and be hugged by, as Carl says, a smoking hot woman that's naked, right, without uh, having a problem and so forth, which is no problem for me, <laughs> or uh, if you uh, can't go out there and get hugged by a uh, gay naked man, you know, now it doesn't happen often. Okay, so I'm not saying that's, you know, it's a big hug. That's not the common there. occurrence that takes oh, place. Oh, no, but what we are saying is that you're, you're out there to represent Jesus Christ. Uh, I had a young man, I said, that had been to the burn with me before, and I asked him, I said, you're going to go out 2017 with us? And, and he says, Bob, I, I have a problem with lust. Oh, okay, good. I'm glad you told me because you don't want to be out there, right? Uh, and, and, and so you have, to, you have to be a person that is non-judgmental of uh, the pagan lifestyle, meaning that you're not condemning them because uh, uh, the wrath of God's already on them, that you're sharing with them. And it has to come that you are going to respect them uh, to the utmost uh, that they know, they see, they feel. Carl, I want to get back to the, the issue with the French, uh, uh, the artist, and also yes. uh, Allie, when we were out there and she was sitting next to somebody at the Temple Burn, if you remember that story. Yeah, you know, the, the fellow who was the artist, that was 2017. It was, um, it, for me, it was a good experience. Um, this, this fellow had come by the tent, Bob had gone, he was out of the, out of the city for that day. He had to return to Reno to get a pair of shoes because his shoes the night before <laughs> got, taken on, got taken on him. <laughs> no worries. Bob had the rest of his I clothes I thought there on, was a city. Shoes. I thought they had this kind of stuff here. Yeah. Did I just walk out there? Hey, which tent sells shoes? Oh yeah. That one, right, let's go over there. Yeah, that's fine. Oh, by the way, we're all around. Can you get a, a you know, it's, oh, it's getting... It's getting towards November. We're in November now. Let's get a pumpkin spice latte while we're out there. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, so Bob, Bob had to go for that day because he had to get a pair of shoes. Somebody had taken his, his dusty shoes while we were at a camp on listening to lectures on psychedelics, I believe it was. And uh, this guy comes by the tent and I'm at the tent and he was one of those fellows who looks at the sign, Camp of the Unknown God, and, and he literally blurted out, who is this unknown God? And so I invited him in under the shelter of, of our tent fly, get in under the shade because it's hot. Um, here's some Gatorade. Uh, here's some water. Tell me a little bit about yourself. We go into this conversation. He's an esoteric philosopher. He's an esoteric artist. He's a oneist. He believes that God, man, and nature are all essentially the same. Okay, because yeah, yeah, I was about to say we, um, for the viewers to explain out what, what that was. But that, that was right. And, I'm a, and I explained that I'm a twoist, that I believe that God stands outside of creation, that God is distinct and unique, that reality is really two, God, and then everything else. And so how you view these two things will determine everything about your worldview, everything. Right including gender, sexuality, the list goes on, ethics, morality, values, politics. And so we, we end up having this conversation of oneism versus twoism. And knowing now that he's an artist, and this is the value of talking and letting them speak to you first. Because honestly, Nick, you want to know who they are. Of course, okay? of course. That, that's important. You treat them like, like the people that they are because 
they're human beings. They are, as Bob says, they are our brothers in Adam. Of course. Of course. And, and so I, now I know he's, a, he's an artist. And so I said to him, I said, are you telling me as a oneist that there is no value distinction between you or your artwork? That there is no distinction between the artist and his creation? It's essentially one. And he looked and looked and he thought for a while. He says, no, of course, I, I've, I have greater value than my art. I'm the artist. That's the point. I, of course, have greater distinction and greater value. And I said to him, I said, well, look around. I mean, we have, it, it's, it's a raw, mm -hmm. harsh environment, but it's also beautiful. The sky is amazing. The mountain backdrop is all around us. This desert is an incredible place. There's stark beauty, but there's beauty. Nonetheless, there's beauty. And I said to him, I said, are you telling me that this artwork is the same as the artist? And by, by this point in the conversation, he already knew where we were going. And there was a smile that crept across his face. And he's like, I see where you're going. You're right. I have to rethink some things. And you know, then from there, we ended up talking about Jesus Christ and true spirituality versus false spirituality. And I had to remind the gentleman, and he was a great guy. I had to remind him, look, your mm -hmm. spirituality here is so temporary. <clears throat> mm -hmm. It's so temporary that at the end of the week, we burn it and we walk away. Whereas true spirituality is grounded in someone who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yeah, and it's man. not about how you feel. It's not about what you experience. It is about what is spiritually true. And I've come across that a lot, um, especially over college campuses. And it kind of, it's one of those thin lines that also uh, turns gray because it leads into politics, um, into liberalism a lot. And I know it's kind of um, a little shifting on the topic here, but when I was at Fullerton College, I came across students who were like that, who would treat it like, um, what was it? it? It was like that oneism type thing. It was about, well, we need to be able to, uh, our feelings are more important than the actual truth of the matter. We know my, I, how I feel is this, and I described to one of them before I got into really more in depth in apologetics that feelings and reality are two different things completely. And that we can feel something, but it's subjective. Why? Because I can feel angry at one moment. Like I've, I've had where it's like, I thought I got a C or, or whatnot on the test. I really studied hard for it. And I was so annoyed, so angry. And yet when I reread the paper that all the grades were posted on, I realized I had misread it. My anger quickly subsided to, oops, a little bit of embarrassment and switching quite quickly to, yes, I got an A, kick in. <laughs> but the, the main point that I drove it was that the feelings that we have are a subjective form of our reality. And it's not, it's just like the burning man, as you're talking about, like all these things we have in uh, materialistic things, your house can go up in flames. Books can go up in the flames. Our car can get stolen, you know, or, or shoes, Bob can be stolen the next day. You have to go to Reno. These things are all temporary, but that's why, as you said, Carl, spirituality in the areas of what the biblical principle is, is eternal. Because even Jesus points out that all this will perish, you know, you're going to have goods and stuff, you're going to have um, nice cl clothes to wear, but the moths will get at it, you know, metals will rust, you know, all this thing will go away. I can give you things that will never be destroyed by time that are completely eternal and outside of this reality that are in heaven that nothing will ever touch. 
So I think you right. make a really good point. It's just, it's something that kind of came to my mind with that. And that's, and, and, I, and I say again, it's, it seems to be like the connection is also with where we're talking about how politics and you have polit politicians in there. And it seems to be leaking almost into the education system where they're teaching this as well. So it almost seems like Burning Man may be a platform in which this kind of originated and every year kind of grows and grows. And then it's given when those leaders, the teachers, whatever, go off into their respective areas, kind of take this grape juice that they got and, you know, mature it into a wine that's more suitable to be able to put out for the general consumer, so to speak. Yeah, I, I, like, the, I like that analogy. It's a good analogy. Um, uh, it didn't originate, this worldview change didn't originate at Burning Man, but Burning mm -hmm. Man definitely, definitely refines it. it right, right. It right. allows it, it, and what's really important is it allows it to be experimented with and played with literally in a sandbox setting. Kind of like a United States so, setting where you have the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, where it's an idea of liberty, security, and freedom that, you know, we, right. what the Constitution talks about. Because um, when we have the United States, I know you're in Canada, but in the United States with the Constitution, it is an experimental idea. Even if Freemasons talk about that, this experimental idea that of self-governance, now we have the experimentation of the ideas you're talking about being put into Burning Man, seeing how well it works out and then taking whatever is in there, putting it yep. back out into the world and saying, now we know how to make it work a little bit better and make it more fermented. Right, right. So we're coming up to our 10 minute mark really fast. And um, <laughs> sorry, my phone just went off on me. <laughs> Love this thing. And so we'll wrap it up on the Burning Man and then we're gonna part two here. We're gonna go ahead and have uh, talk about Carl's book about Burning Man. So guys, let's put our final thoughts into this next 10 minutes. Okay. I'd like to have Carl uh, sign off on this, but I would like to give a quick overview of the Ali story, because how important this is for Christians to understand that we have an opportunity here to go out and you don't have to go inside the Burning Man to witness. There are hundreds of stragglers on the outside. We got witnessing teams, even, uh, that are out on the outside. Uh, we got witnessing teams in Fernley and Cedarville in Alturas, and we're gonna have witnessing teams in Reno. And so it's it's a two or three weeks of, of being able to share. Carl, will you assign us out and uh, maybe uh, mention uh, Ali's story? I think it's very important. Here's the problem, Bob. I can't remember Ali's story offhand. Oh, okay, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. Uh, oh goodness! It's a, it, it, it's my half timers, not all timers, but half timers. Okay, I'm in whole timers. Not timer, quite there yet. That story got me. Uh, uh, we 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 had a team that came out, and uh, they were uh, basically a uh, uh, documentary crew and so forth. And Ali was one of the people. And uh, just sweet people. I mean, these are great people, actually. Love these people. Just one week knowing them. But she's sitting next to a lady at the burn, and the lady's crying. And she starts talking about that she had lost her 16-year-old son, and her psychologist told her to come to the burn and throw it up on the temple, you know, and, and let it go. And that's all the world had to offer, right? And so uh, people were screaming, let it go, let it go. And Allie put her arm around her and, and actually 
you know, consoled her and so forth and, and befriended her during that time period. But the love of Christ that we have to share is the love of Christ is, uh, it leads to the eternal things and so forth. And we have a greater answer than to throw it up on a wooden structure and let it go. This is a lady that lost her son and that's all they had to offer. We have Jesus Christ, the truth, life, and the way, and which no one can go to the Father except through him, but we got to get out there and share that. Amen. So, Carl, you can sign us off. Well, I, I think it speaks to the fact that we're supposed to be ambassadors for Christ. And what does an ambassador do? An ambassador knows the culture. He understands the situation uh, he finds himself in. He understands his posting. And we are all called to be ambassadors. We read that in, in, in Paul's writings. We are to be ambassadors for him. Mm-hmm. And in that being that ambassador means we go, we go into the world. We go to, to those in our neighborhood. We go to those who are in our community, to our own family. Uh, we go to Burning Man. Mm-hmm. No, I think it's good. I think that um, judging by what we talked about here, and the audience will probably understand as well, it's a very good thing to go out there. And I'll just kind of leave it on this one uh, to summarize it. But one is it's very much a culture that is derived from the hidden culture within our own society. It's like the unspo- it's like the white elephant in the living room. Everyone knows it's there. They take it out to the Burning Man, and it's there. Everyone acknowledges it and tests it and then brings it out. Um, I think that with the church, we should be, I I can understand people being uncomfortable going out there. I can understand people not, you know, there's certain, it's like a certain breed of, of, of ministries to go out. It's like, there's a certain breed of people who can go off and fight wildfires or join the Marine Corps or be a SEAL team. You know, not everyone's cut out to do it, but it's still wonderful to have people who are able to do that and go out. So I think that as a Christ follower, I mean, I probably wouldn't be able to go out there, but I know that. You guys are very well equipped. I'm very glad the Lord has been good in providing for you guys. And I think that ultimately, well, I keep saying ultimately, what what I'm seeing here is that, especially with that woman who lost her son, throwing the ashes into there, the world doesn't have much to offer you, but Christ does. So with that note, ladies and gentlemen, this is going to end the part one of this discussion. I'm going to go ahead and we're going to do part two, which is going to be Carl's book on Burning Man. So I hope you guys come back. Please watch the next uh, video on here and we'll go from there. So until next time, may God richly bless you all, my dearly beloved.